me share something real quick. Margaret is an amazing servant in this regard. I have seen brothers down in Boston who lead whole congregations who don't know how to sing a single note. <laughs> Seriously. Yep. But these brothers are worshiping God with all their heart. Big Walt in the south sector of Boston. Big Walt. He'd just be thumping away on that stage. And he, I mean, he's got soul. Right? So he's, he's this kind of brother you can worship. With it, and, it, and he doesn't care. Like, the one thing we got to stop worrying about is, what's this person think of my singing? What's this person think of my singing? This worship is between you and God. Now, we do it congregationally. We do it as a chorus, right? But worship really is between you and God, so enjoy those moments. Those are awesome, awesome moments. And, and you'll, you won't believe how elated your heart becomes when you just simply let go and just let go, okay? I know that's kind of cliche, but... It's like just the right opportunity to use it. Um, anyways, amen. I just wanted to thank you all uh, just for being here at the Burlington Church of Christ. We're a Bible-believing church. We decided that at one point in time in our life, we were going to take the Bible, grab hold of it, and we were going to make it our own. And then we were going to take it, pull the pieces out that we liked, pull the pieces out that we don't like, and apply it to our lives. Okay? Because the Bible... Bible is a hard thing to put into your life. So if you're here as a disciple today, congratulations. You've achieved one of the greatest, most challenging things human beings can be faced with. And that those are trials of faith. Okay, that's not what today's about. But I just wanted to say that because I feel like it's important that if you're here today, you're going through trials of faith, those are important trials. Those are the trials that refine your character. Those are the trials that define how you're going to live. Those are the, those are the trials that are going to determine... Uh, who you're going to influence and affect in your life for the things that you're attempting to take hold of in your life, okay? And these are truthful things. These are things that come from the Bible, so we know they're tied, they're time-tested, and they're tried and true. So welcome for being here for that, and I applaud you just for being here. It's, it's, it's a challenge, but it's a beautiful challenge. So. We're going to talk today a little bit about, uh, you know, we sang, we, we had Shelby and Jeanette come up and read uh, Psalm 23, and we've been talking for the past several weeks about uh, Psalm 23 and what it is to, to be a shepherd and what it is to be a sheep and how does God look at us in regards to that dynamic and how do we look at ourselves? How do we look at, how do we look at God in regard? I mean, there's so many different ways you could see Psalm 23. And I, and I wanted to address that today in some ways because I feel like well, for instance, let's suppose being a shepherd was a really lucrative career today. Let's just suppose that was still a big thing and sheep were like high on the menu at all restaurants, okay? But also, let's assume this. Let's assume Ryan decides to become a shepherd. Number one, Ryan's going to have a great time because he loves hiking. Uh, and, and hiking and, and shepherding requires a lot of hiking. He loves being outdoors. You can't be a shepherd while you're sitting inside. Uh, there's no computer that you can go to. There's no Zoom call you can go to where the sheep are there waiting for you to talk to them. Uh, Ryan would be the perfect shepherd, right? Ryan would be GPS for the sheep. We were we were listening today about he leads me on paths, right? That was when I mean, we just read that. But that means Ryan's the GPS for those sheep, the sheep PS, right? So so if Ryan wanders off the trail, what happens to the sheep? They're going to wander off. If, if, have you guys seen um, The Office where Michael Scott is relying on the GPS in the car? He's so reliant on technology. He's like, 
this is not wrong. And he ends up driving straight into a, a lake off a boat. <laughs> and, he, and he was insistent that the GPS could not be wrong because it was it's modern technology, right? <laughs> well, sheep are actually going to do something along those lines. They, they would literally like follow other sheep right off the edge of a cliff, okay? Um, but also, let's say this. Ryan leads these sheep, and he's got one sheep. There's just one sheep named Marty, okay? And I plucked Marty out of the air. It's, nobody's... Not, there was no inspiration for it other than it's the first name that came to mind. And Marty is one of the sheep. And Marty's kind of like that trouble sheep. Okay, there's there's the good sheep and then there's the bad sheep. But Marty's just not all there. And and Marty is following sheep PS with everybody else. And he gets to the field and Marty has gone ahead and I'm sorry, Ryan has gone ahead and prepared this field. And we talked last week about how the sheep the shepherd has to go and prepare fields ahead of time. He's not always just leading sheep around, figuring out where the best places are to, to eat, right? Marty has to go and prepare. I said Marty again. Ryan has to go ahead, and he has to prepare this whole field to be edible for his sheep. So he lays out this amazing salad, <laughs> right? Now, Marty's that troubled sheep, and Marty's the guy who kind of wanders along when, when Ryan goes back and gets the sheep and says, All right, guys, I'm taking you to the salad. And all the other sheep are sitting there buying and communicating and nodding like, yeah, we're going to get some salad. Marty's the one sheep standing in the middle of the field that decides, you know, I've been eating for about an hour. It's a good salad. Feeling the call of nature. And all the other sheep all of a sudden just get horrified look. Just look at Marty and go, he's peeing in the salad. <laughs> and, Ryan, and Ryan goes up to him and goes, Marty, I told you. You should have gone before we left the trail. You can't all be over here peeing in the salad. And so I didn't want to talk anything about sheep today. So I want to shift gears here for a second. Because that was just a warm-up, okay? But it's important you guys understand that in our lives, we're good sheep, we can be bad sheep, and we can be in between sheep. We can be the not-so-smart sheep, but we have to literally apply our hearts to make it work, right? All right. Well, I want to talk about gratitude especially today, though. Today, you know, tomorrow will be Memorial Day when we when we get our day off and we enjoy just being able to kick up our feet. But Memorial Day means I got a spider on me. Hold on, hate that. Um, but Memorial Day means a lot of things to a lot of people. But the word memory is buried right in there, right? And so I want to take t- today to take the time to remember uh, the soldiers who fought for us, whether through Civil War, through Independence War, through World War One, World War Two, World War Three. The Korean War, the Vietnam War. I mean, war is a horrible, horrible, horrible thing. And we're seeing it play out in our lives, right? And I don't know that there's ever been a time when it hasn't affected so many people's lives so deeply, but there are people who have to stand up and they have to say, I can't put up with this. I can't stand against tyranny. Or I will stand against tyranny. I can't allow this to happen. And so we celebrate Memorial Day in, in a sense to say we commemorate all the soldiers who have fought and been there to help us win our freedoms. So when we talk about freedom, we talk about freedom in the sense of what does that mean for me? And let's orient our minds in the sense of Christ and what that freedom means to us. And I'd like to have my wife come up and just share a bit about uh, freedom and what that means to her. (laughs) So more more than freedom, um, I'm talking about remembrance. And, um, you know, God commands us to remember. 
um, a lot. And so, like in the Old Testament, he he gave his people feasts and festivals to remember every year, over and over again. There's the Passover today. Still, there's the celebration of kind of known as the the birthplace of Christianity, and and we're called to remember these things. Um, and ex- slavery in Egypt. Um, I did by Jews daily, morning and night. And um, I just want to read a little bit of it that um, I try to keep close to my heart. Um, it reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And it's just a reminder for me to really remember. Remember God's commands. Remember God's love. Remember God's power and the miracles that he's done in life. Um, and I know that I need this reminder and I need engagement with others to to talk about these things, to remember, because life gets hard and it can be easy to be just consumed with what's here and now and to forget about the miracles that he has done and how that is even a promise to miracles that he can do. Can do for, for somebody's heart. Sometimes just reading the lyrics can really just 
bring those things close to your heart and, and bring them out even and let you feel through those those trials and those times of testing and, and get through hard times and get through uh, things that really, um, you know, in a lot of ways are uh, things that could just bring you low. Uh, song can oftentimes bring us up. I love that God is the author of music. Um, and there's something about music, whether it's used for whether it's used for the American Top 40, you know, top hits, or whether it's used in worship for, for just talking about uh, scripture. Because yeah. a lot of scripture in song. Lots of scripture in song. And a lot of that lifts us up. And a, lot, a lot of it sets our feet right where we should be sometimes. You know, and it doesn't always work that way for everybody. But God gives us all things so that we can all have the opportunity. Uh, the opportunity to remember him like we're talking about today, the opportunity to remember Scripture, which is something that we hide in our hearts, right? Something we use, something we put to use so that we can actually live our lives according to that Scripture. Uh, I want to uh, take a moment here to talk about remembrance in the way that, you know, if you've read Scripture through the Old Testament, I'm going to kind of camp out here in the Old Testament. Um, Remember that God had met different people biblically either in dream, or he sent angels to them, or he gave them visions. And those are the moments we read about and we know exist today. Why? Anybody? Because of that. Because what? Because they came to pass. Because they came to pass, and they actually happened. But God in those times also said, remember this. And so what we have historically are, uh, are called stones of remembrance. I want to talk about a few of those stones. There's three significant stones of remembrance, and I want to just pull those out for you today. Let's go to uh, let's go to Genesis 28. I'm going to read 11 through 22 for you. Uh, now this is talking about Jacob, uh, and uh, <clears throat> this is where Jacob. This is an instance where Jacob had a dream, and I want you to understand why we have this stone of remembrance. When he Jacob reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. I don't know about you, I would choose a pillow over a stone, but, <laughs> but uh, most people probably didn't carry pillows with them that day. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Picture that for a second. You're having this extremely vivid dream. So vivid it seems real. And this staircase comes down. Boom! And it lands at your feet and it touches the earth. And the next thing you know, all these angels start descending and ascending the staircase as far as the eye can see toward the heavens. And there above it stood the Lord. Okay, now you get to see the Lord. Maybe it's just bright radiance because I don't think God shows his face to too many people. But way, way up there, you know it's the Lord. There's no question about it. You just know it's him, right? And you hear him say, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. 
All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. That's amazing right there. God tells him to remember Abraham and what he promised Abraham. And he lays out a few more promises here. He says, let me reiterate that what I told Abraham is that I will spread you out from as far as the east is from the west and the north from the south. Now get this. I want, you, I want everybody here to understand this. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Did you know that you are blessed through, through the offspring of Jacob? Mm-hmm. Blows my mind. It just completely blows my mind. Because we're, we're reading about us. Mm-hmm. Take that in for a second. We're reading about us. Yeah. Then God says, I'm with you and watch over you wherever you go and I'll bring you back to this land. I'm going to read in a second. God fulfills this promise to Jacob. And he says, I will not leave you until I've done what I promised. There's a promise here. There's an overriding promise here that God's talking about. What do you hear? You hear promise? You hear promise? You hear promise? Remember, 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 right? When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? There is none other, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Okay, so feeble-minded Jacob decides this, I saw a staircase land right here. This must be the gateway to heaven. Wow. It has to be. There's no, other, there's no other way we can think of this. This place. And early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. What's oil used for? Anointing, right? Anointing what? People to be, people to be kings. Right, right. People to be priests, prophets. Healing. There's a lot of reasons for anointing oil, but Jacob does it here, and it's and it's significant in all those ways. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Or lose, depending on if you're Hispanic. <laughs> then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on the journey I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all of that you give me, I will give you a tenth. The tithe. There's so many significant things that are part of our lives today because of this scripture. When we talk about a tithe, we talk about giving in gratitude, right? And why do we do that? Because we remember Jacob said that. There's a stone standing somewhere. Maybe it's fallen over by now, or maybe it's still there, but it's buried. I don't. I looked. Up, I'll tell you what. I spent so much time trying to find this stone, <laughs> and after about an hour of googling, I couldn't find it. But I, but I, but I got it. GPS. But nobody today really has any major understanding as to where the stone truly is. A couple different places claim it. They probably dusted off a stone and said, well, this must be it. But nobody really knows. But we, what we do know is, Jacob said, 
this is God's house because God, the foot of the staircase of heaven was right here. Okay, we have scripture that proves that. And what it did for Jacob, that whole vision, it inspired him. Now, if you had never seen God before or seen anything in text about angels or if you never read the Bible and you had this vision, it would probably be pretty frightening. But with the promises that follow that vision, what then happens? Jacob's faith goes probably from about here, okay, I'm going to do this because we know that Abraham said we should be doing this, 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 and everything that was written, I should be doing this. But then Jacob was elevated. His faith was elevated way up here, right? When you read the scripture, if you can imagine having that dream yourself, would that elevate your faith or would that would that stomp on your faith? Elevate. How would that affect you? It would elevate you, right? Yeah. And this is a moment where faith is part of this memorial stuff. Remember the stone and elevate your faith. I told you we'd come back to the stone in, a, in further inscription. Let's go to Genesis 35. Now I'm going to read 1 through 14. This is after uh, Jacob had already left this location and gone about uh, raising his crops. Uh, historically, you know, he would have gone about, instead of sitting there admiring the stone, he would have been doing other things, right? Uh, if you st- sit and stare at a stone, it's going to be a stone tomorrow and a stone the next day. And while it's a good stone to remember things by, you still got to live, right? you got to do things in life to live, and that's what Jacob did. But here in uh, Genesis 35, God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there. So Jacob, right at that moment, wasn't in Bethel any longer. And build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you, and purify yourselves, and change your clothes. During Jacob's travels, he had accumulated people to travel with him, and uh, he had accumulated probably a lot of wealth with a lot of sheep, cattle, and all that, but he also accumulated a lot of these worldly trappings. And he accumulated people whose faith wasn't exactly aligned with his faith, right? And these people had foreign gods among them. And he says to them, then come. So he's told them, get rid of these things. Then uh, let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So he gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had, and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then he set out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them, so that no one pursued them. Jacob probably wasn't really popular in that day. Jacob was probably moving and meandering around lands. He was eating, his sheep were probably eating other shepherd's salads. I don't know. Could have been, right? <laughs> yeah, peeing in other people's salads. But despite the hatred of all the people around him, God said, no, you're not going to touch my Jacob. He's my Jacob. And Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. See, he came back. And there he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Now, El Bethel... The L part means uh, house again. 
Bethel means house, house of God specifically, but El Bethel means house. So now he calls it El Bethel, which means what? The house of the house of God. That's really significant. It sounds funny, but it's really significant. Because what does he do when he arrives there? He builds a temple. Right? A shrine. Uh, what does he say? Does he build a temple? He built an altar. And he called that El Bethel. So he is in the house of the house of God. Not only does he remember that he's in the house of God, but he honors that, that spot by helping us remember. Don't forget, folks, this is the house of the house of God. Jacob soberly believed that the foot of the staircase of heaven would always come here. And he placed his faith in the fact that God would always be at the top of that staircase. Let's look at another stone of remembrance. Uh, actually, there are 12 of them that we have to remember here. Joshua 3, verse 9. going to step away from Jacob here. Jacob, that part of the story today is done, but it's, it's, let's always come back and remember that Jacob's faith was increased tremendously because he saw God at the top of the staircase. And that stone is still there today. Now, wind erosion could have done something to it, could have been buried under sand dunes, I don't know, but it's still there. And this is where, uh, in Joshua 3.9, this is where the, uh, the people come across the Jordan River at flood stage. And the nations around them are, are chasing them, and basically saying, we're going to wipe you guys out. And Joshua is like, we're in trouble here. We just came to Jordan at flood stage, and we have this massive army behind us. Our days are numbered. And he says, all right, God, I give up. Not, not actually, if you read here, he doesn't say that at all. Let's read it. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. That is very different than I give up, right? This is how you will know that the living God is among you, and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. If you were an ark carrier and the Jordan was at flood stage, would you be fired up about walking into the Jordan right about that point in time? Yeah. Let's not forget the men who carried the Ark of the Covenant. The test to carry the Ark of the Covenant was huge. And they bore it with absolute obedience. And when they did, there were consequences. Anyways, side point. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, remember, remember, he's, he's saying, remember this, I'm repeating myself, the Lord of all the earth. I know we got a massive army behind us, folks, but remember, we have the Lord of all the earth on our side. Set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Now, that doesn't mean the waters downstream will, will stand up in a heap. He's talking about the headwaters at that point. Now, when you dam up a river, what normally will happen at that point? It'll flow out and flow around, create flooding elsewhere. It'll actually start to go around whatever structure you're putting up. And they didn't have massive engineering back then, so, you know, a massive concrete dam isn't going to hold back the Jordan here. 
But what it, what it does say is the waters of the Jordan piled up, heaped up. Now, I don't know how much water that was, but over time, that heat must have gotten pretty high. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now, the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet, as soon as the priests who carry the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarephan while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Can you imagine a whole nation? Let's take the U.S. (laughs) And the Mississippi's there in the middle. And let's just say everybody's on the east coast side of the Mississippi. And God says, well, you guys are under attack. Let's make sure we get you to the other side, to that promised land. And I'm not saying California. (laughs) (laughs) But let's just say God decided to hold back the the waters of the Mississippi. That's a lot of water. Now let's hold back the Mississippi at flood stage. And let's get as many people from the east coast to the west coast by crossing up on dry ground. It takes a while to dry up a riverbed, right? I mean, after it's just been at flood stage, how soggy is that riverbed? And what happens the more you walk across mud? Anybody know? What's that? It mixes up. It mixes up, yep. It gets muddier. It gets soggier. It gets stickier. It bogs stuff down. Well, that's not what happened here. It actually dried up. No matter how many feet came across it, it was dry ground. I'm gonna I'm gonna continue reading from four uh, into twenty uh, from here to verse twenty four in chapter four. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, "Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight." So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord, your God, into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. A sign of remembrance. In the future, when your children ask you, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial, a memory, to the people of Israel forever. Back then, if you wanted to create something permanent, what you what you create it out of? Stone. They had no forges to create you know, metal structures and images of anybody, really, that easily. They would have had to have stayed in a place for a long time to get to that point of technology. So it said they took the stones, just as God said, and, he, and one of the tribes of, of the people of Israel picked up a stone and carried it out from around the feet of the priests that were holding the ark. Uh, verse 9. Joshua set up the twelve stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the ark of, of the covenant had stood. And they're there to this day. Um, I did my own archaeological discovery doing... Google archaeology, and um, and there are, I, I couldn't find anything. It, it literally is like nobody's sure what stones are those stones. 
But to anybody in that day who was staying in the area or who came through that area had to have heard about what God did for the Israelites that day. Now the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, ready for battle, in front of the Israelites, as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho. That day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him all the days of his life, just as they had stood in awe of Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant law to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And no sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. On the tenth day of the first month, first of the month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, remember this, in the future... When your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. And so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Who here believes that the hand of the Lord is powerful? Right? promise still carrying over to today. Still carrying over. Now when you think about being a person of that day, when Joshua says this, what else do you remember aside from just having crossed over the Jordan? What else do you remember here? That God brought you out of slavery from Egypt, right? That now you become a chosen people. You're special to God. I want you to remember not only that did he cross it, cross you through the Jordan, but earlier it says he also did that to the Red Sea. Lest you forget. Now, had these people gotten to the Promised Land? Does anybody know? Are they in the Promised Land right now? Right? You're in the Promised Land. You made it. You crossed over. You've crossed the Jordan. This is the promised land. Hooray, we're here, we arrived. Let's have a party. Let's start building houses for ourselves. Let's start laying out pasture land. Let's get busy with life. But what can't we do? Let's not forget. When things are going great, how often do you pray? When challenges rise up and your gut is churning. My son, my son had gotten COVID about a month and a half ago, right? I have prayed more in that time for him than I've prayed in a long time. Because why? There's danger. And I know that the hand of the Lord is power. Right? I know that God is more powerful than anything any doctor or myself could possibly do to help me get over that. Right? The things that we love most are threatened and we go to God. And I just want to make a point of that because very easily we get distracted with life. Very easily we might say, wow, look at this. Look at this dream home we finally have. Let's retire here. Let's live the, the easy life, the good life. 
but don't forget that God has brought all that to you. Because He can give it, and He can easily take it away. And I'm not saying God's punitive. Don't don't take that as punitive. But God allows for all things. Right? Scripture does say the Lord works for the good of those who love Him. And if your love is lacking and things aren't going quite right, who's straight? Think on that. But remember, remember the stones of remembrance. I love these. Uh, let's look at Samuel. Let's go back to uh, let's go back to First Kings. Or I should say, ahead to First Kings. No, I don't have my full reference here. What's that? First Samuel. Oh, uh, sorry. write the reference down so um, but Samuel if you remember Samuel as the prophet it's probably one of the greatest of prophets who anointed David king Samuel is actually quite the man himself when you consider that he himself trusted on God during a Philistine attack to basically foil the plans of the Philistines to wipe out the people of Israel and after God had stepped in and did that, Samuel prayed very specifically for it. It was a very specific prayer. And God answered it very specifically. And after that, Samuel erected a stone. So the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord. They brought it to Abinadab's house in the hill and on the hill and consecrated Eleazar his son to guard the ark of the Lord. The ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim a long time, 20 years in all. Then the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the asterisks and commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their bales and ask to rest and serve the Lord only. We saw that at one point earlier, didn't we? There was a calling from a man of God to say, put these idols away. And what do we know about idols? You make a, if you make an idol out of a stone, what is it? It's still just a rock, right? It's a stylized rock, right? But who created the rock? God created the rock, right? And so Samuel's calling these people back, like, look, you're worshiping things God has already created for you. Why worship those things? Right. And Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. 
while Samuel was sacrificing burnt offerings. The Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shem. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Ebenezer means Lord of help, or the Lord who helps. And some may say the Lord who saves. So think about the stone, the stone of remembrance. He wrecks it there so that people coming there can say, this is where God interceded on the Israelites' behalf. This is where God defeated the Philistines, not the people. Now imagine this, this battle for a second. You're standing behind these walls. I don't know how high they were or how short they were. I don't, I don't know the fortress or the fortifications. I just know that there were a bunch of afraid people over here waiting to get completely annihilated by the Philistines. At least as far as they thought. Now let's imagine who saw the storm coming in yesterday around 10 a.m. Right. It got dark. It got really dark. Now imagine that storm coming in from behind the Philistine army. And imagine being an Israelite watching this happen. You see lightning and you hear thunder booming and roaring. Now think of that as it pulls up and it just stops right at the edge of the Philistine army. And it's just lightning and thundering, but it's staying right there. I don't know if this is exactly how it happened, but I'm imagining this is how it happened. This massive thunderstorm stopped before it reached the Israelites. And it thundered and rained and poured and lightning all through the Philistine camp. Until they found, like, enough of this, we're out of here. And they took off. Then we read in scripture, it was then that the Israelites pursued them, cutting them down. They didn't do it while the storm was going on. The Philistines had already been routed, and the Israelites hadn't had to lift a sword. Amazing what God can do when you have the faith to allow him to do what he needs to do to help you, right? All right. Let's go to uh, 1 Peter 2.9. I'm going to come in for a landing here. Come on, Larry. Come on, Larry. Come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. A spiritual what? An El, or Bethel. To be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What was built at Bethel? It became El Bethel because Joshua built an altar there, right? What goes on an altar? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. For the scripture says, and it goes on to say, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. What are they calling Jesus here? Stone. Jesus is being called a stone. What? A cornerstone. What significant thing has been stated here? The what? 
It's stable. Yep. That is true. Yep. In verse 4 it says, As you come to him, the, the living stone. It is. It's a capital S here. I don't know if your Bible has a capital S. Mine does. So whenever we think of Jesus, what are we supposed to do here? Remember. Remember. Each one of us, when we think of Jesus, remembers something different, though. It's different for each of us. But there are many, many aspects of, of what we think of when we think of Jesus that are exactly alike. I think of promises. I think of salvation. I think of the cross. I think of so many different things when I think of Jesus because I understand that Jesus is a living remembrance to us. But if we read in verse 5, you also, who's you in this case? Us. Like living stones, like Jesus, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's so powerful. That's so amazing because I'm not just looking to find a stone. I googled and googled and googled and tried to find all these historical stones. I couldn't find them. Whether by weather or by movement or by being buried, I couldn't see them. So I had no reference or remembrance. What do we have? We have Jesus, right? We have Jesus, the living stone. And that's so important to us because this stone can't be buried. This stone won't fade. Weather can't touch it. Time will never wipe it out because it's him. And that's so critical to our faith because it's, it's an inspiration to us to grow in our faith. It's a challenge to us to remember and I hope that after after going through this today, that when you think about these stones of remembrance, or when you ever think of Jesus, think about Jesus being that living stone. Think about Jesus and what he can do for you to help you remember those things that bring you faith. Those things that encourage you. Those things that protect and guard you and stand in front of you before the world itself can overwhelm you. Let's think of those times when you just want a quiet, peaceful place to rest your head. And just know that you're safe. And those are the things I love to remember. And I hope you remember too. Let's pray. Father God, you're so amazing. I love digging into the scripture like this and just finding those stones of remembrance. I love being able to look through scripture and know that we have those today because you you wanted to specifically prevent us from forgetting. And, you know, as we celebrate Memorial Day and we, we remember all the different things that people have done for us, more importantly, God, I pray we remember what you have done for us. Right? That we are here today because of what you did for Joshua. And we are here today for what you did for Jacob. And we're here today because of what you did through Samuel. That we're here today through every miracle and every opportunity to remember you is still present today. And you give us those things because it's, it's, it's so important to you that we know you. And that just blows my mind. You put every effort into helping us always constantly remember you. And yet we so easily forget. And I just pray that we'll always have that 
that spark of remembrance inside of us from today forward that will always understand that when we think of you, Jesus, that we think about you as the living stone, as the living promise, as the living reminder, as the one who said, I'm willing to come down to be yours. I'm willing to show you that I am truly a living stone. I'm willing to go to the cross and I'm willing to foil those who think they could defeat me in death and rise again. I pray as we take communion today, we remember that your body is truly living. And we take your blood through, uh, through the fruit of the vine. And we understand that it's your blood that sustains us. It's your sacrifice on the altar. Whatever that may have been, that your sacrifice is the one that causes us to daily be sanctified, to daily be cleansed, and to daily have uh, grace, to have peace, to have safety. But more than anything, have our faith as we have it today. This is Jesus' name we pray. Amen.